All right, let's go on to hermeneutics. We're passing around the uh, tenants sheet. It's probably redundant, but please bear with me and, and sign it. Okay? Tonight we're going to sort of have a workshop. We're going to spend some time observing the text. Now, we're going to deliberately do things wrong in order to highlight the value of the right way, so please close your Bibles. <laughs> close your Bibles. Turn your notes over. All right, now some of you have been through some of what I am about to do already. If you have and you know who you are, please keep your mouth shut. Okay. I'm going to throw some scriptures at you. I'm not going to give you any context or tell you where they came from. And I'm going to ask you some questions, and I hope you get some of the answers wrong. And you'll see why. Okay, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What's that talking about? Just throw out some ideas. What's Prayer. it talking about? Prayer. Okay? What does it mean? Oh, no, no, no. I didn't, I didn't ask for your theology. I asked for what do you think this means. Okay. Okay, if you say in Jesus' name, it'll happen. Okay. Okay. All right. Now, let's just yeah, name it and claim it. Okay, let's, let's just leave those on the table just like that. Okay? How about this one? I say to you, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. What's this about? Okay. I need to I need to get somebody to agree with me. All right? Now now I've got two ways to get what I want, right? Ask it in Jesus' name or at least get somebody else to agree with you. Let's sit down and let's agree in prayer, okay? All right? How about this one? The Lord watch between you and me while we are absent from one another. Have you ever seen this inside of a locket? Have you ever seen those lockets? And hold hands and say this, right? And it's a way of saying, I will be faithful to you while I'm away this summer at, you know, at, at camp or... Yeah. Have you seen those lockets? They're, they're heart-shaped and they're in two pieces. And this is inscribed and you pull it apart and each one has one half. Okay. Um, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among them. What's that about? Is this how you make a church? Is Jesus present in a certain way with a group of people gathered in his name that he's not present when there's only one? How about this one? You're probably hearing this a lot these days. If my people who are called by, name, by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land? Oh, baby, do we need this today? <laughs> That's right. You got it? Okay. My questions were unfair because I prevented you from looking at Scripture. 
what in particular did I prevent you from considering? If I had an eraser, I'd throw it at Gary right now. What? We'll get to it. I'll tell you in a little while. Yeah. What I prevented you from looking at was the... Okay. All right? Context is the key to interpretation. If you don't get anything else out of this, get this. Okay, now what we're going to do is we're going to go back and look at these verses in their contexts and talk about them. Now, what you're going to see is, you know, we've said this before, the process of observation and interpretation, you can talk about it as two separate things, but in reality, they're always mixed, right? But let's see what we can do with this. Open your Bibles. Okay. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's from John 14, 14. Okay? John 14, 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Okay. Does anything in the immediate context lead you to conclude anything different than what we were concluding before? Is this carte blanche? I heard a no. No. Why do you say no? Okay, all right. Did everybody catch this? He's talking to the 12 disciples. He's not talking to the general public. One possible explanation why this might not be carte blanche is because it doesn't apply to us. It was only spoken to a particular group. However, later on, Jesus is going to say something like, basically what I've said to you applies to other believers also. So that might not be the solution. Okay, but that's a very, that's a very good observation, and I like it. Um, observe this thing a little bit more. What's the key phrase in this statement? Okay, in my name. Now look at verse 13. What does verse 13 say? Somebody read it out loud. Ah, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, right there, there seems to be some kind of limitation, doesn't it? He seems to be limiting the requests to things whose purpose is to glorify the Father in the Son. Okay? Now, how about the phrase, in my name? What does that mean? Where are we going to get some information on what, what the phrase, in my name, means? What's that? Uh, no, well, you could go there, but that's not, that's, that's not where I would suggest. If you want to find out what something means in the Bible, where do you do? Where do you look? Good. In the Bible. All right? Can we find this phrase anywhere else? It appears a lot of places. Now, here are some of them. Okay? Go to Deuteronomy 18.20. 
Deuteronomy 18.20. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Is it speaking in the name of Jesus to simply say at the end of your prayer, I pray in the name of Jesus? It's not, is it? What does it mean to speak in the name of Jesus? And you can tell from what we just read. What's that? Okay, it is associated with his character, but we, we, can, get, we can get more clear. Okay, it's associated with his attributes, but we can get more specific than that. Okay, give me, don't use that word. It sounds too Roman Catholic and, and too Old English. Okay, how about agent? Okay, how about using the delegated authority of or as a representative of? Okay? God says here, the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name which I have not commanded him to speak shall be put to death. Okay, now what he's saying is if you say you're speaking in God's name, but you're not speaking in God's name, okay, what determines whether you're speaking in God's name? Okay, God is the determiner, and whether or not you're speaking in his name is determined by whether what you say is what God would have said if he were there speaking through your mouth. Okay? Think of it like an ambassador. We have an ambassador to a foreign country. He goes over to negotiate a treaty. Can he put anything in that treaty that our government has not approved? He can't. And if he does that, he is not acting in the name of the U.S. government. Okay? So, you take that concept, and what do you see? That this statement, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it, means if you ask the Father to do anything which I want the Father to do, he will do it. Does that make sense? It does, doesn't it? makes perfect sense. And anything else really wouldn't make sense because God would be surrendering his sovereignty to us, which I don't think he's going to do. I certainly hope he's not going to do. Okay? Okay. Um, what? All right. Maybe I didn't say it straight. When God says, if you ask any, when Christ says, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. He's saying, if you ask the Father to do something, which is something that I want the Father to do. I mean Jesus. Yeah. Or, okay. Well, all right. If you ask me to do anything, which is something I want done, I will do it. <coughs> now, that sounds like a tautology, but it really isn't because... God allows us the dignity of participating in his causality to get his purposes done. Okay, There are things that God wants done that he holds back on doing until we ask him to do it. Now, that doesn't mean we run the show, but somehow we participate. But I believe that to act 
to ask in his name means to ask for what he wants, to be his agent, to express his desired will. You're looking at me very skeptically. What's that? Um, I, I would hesitate to do so only because I don't. I think we should avoid stepping away in any way from this idea of sort of being an ambassador or a representative. Okay. I think I don't. I don't think that's just an analogy for what this is saying. I think that is what it is saying. To act in his name is to be his agent. It is to do what he wants done, nothing more and nothing less. Question. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Be careful, okay? Now, I'm going to pick on you for a minute, okay? Don't take this personally. You just made a logical error. It's the same logical error that I was trying to stop us from making in the last hour, okay? This says that if you do this, I will do it. It doesn't say that if you ask something that's not in my name, I won't do it. Okay? Now, catch the difference, okay? This involves an obligation. God obligates himself to do what we ask that is truly in his name. Now, if I go home tonight and I say to God, you know, I'd really like a new Mercedes, that's probably not in his name, but he's perfectly free to give me one if he wants to. (laughs) Now, do you see what I'm saying? It, it It doesn't mean, you know, you said millions of people are asking for things, and you're right. Okay. I, I guess in the way I've assumed it in my name is that um, we have to ask for him to search his heart. In other words, we know we can't ask for anything that is not a part of his we, Right. God's not going to act in any way that's contrary to his character. That That is true. But, but this, well, okay. The, the reason I say that this is more than that is because this is sort of a carte blanche with a condition. Okay? Jesus says, if you do this and you meet the conditions, I will respond. Okay? That's not the same as, you know, if you ask me for an egg, am I going to give you a snake? You know, you ask your father for an egg, well, he might give you a peanut butter sandwich, but that's still a good thing. But this, this is very specific. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. That's much more specific than saying, ask me for good things and I'll give you good things. Um, I don't know if I'm expressing this very well. Um, okay, please. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
Don't say that. Yes. That's right. Yeah, and, and I would say when you asked that, although what you asked was for a good thing and for a thing, all other issues being the same, that would have pleased him, okay, he's got some bigger purpose. You know, I mean, think about my testimony a couple of weeks ago. I mean, there's so much sin in that thing, it's just disgusting. But further down the line, you see that God had his purposes. Okay? Now, the reason I'm camping out on this is because this, in a sense, is a carte blanche promise. This, in a sense, is something that you can hold God to. You can say, you said, if I ask anything in your name, you will do it. Now, the problem is that we kind of try to hold God's feet to the fire, but we don't take seriously the condition that must be met. And so I think the way this works out in practice is that prayer is not only a way of getting God to act, it's also a way of finding out what it is that God wants to happen. So when we pray and God doesn't do what we ask for, I don't think that's evidence of a failure on God's part. I think that's our way of finding out that God has some other purpose that doesn't include the thing that we asked him to do. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Let's, uh, let's go on to the next one. I say to you that if two of you on earth if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. That is from Matthew 18. Let's go there and look at that. And I thank you for playing along with me when I was throwing these at you without context. Okay, take a look at that verse in Matthew 18 and just look at the context and tell me what chunk of text that statement belongs within. Okay? I pulled out a single verse, but that single verse is part of something larger. Say it louder. Okay, 15, I hear 15 through 20. Does anybody else agree with that or have another view? You all pretty comfortable with that? 18, 15 through 20? That passage is pretty well unified by a topic. What's the topic? Okay, church discipline. Um, does that suggest to you that this is a general prayer promise? It doesn't, does it? Okay. What's the context doing for us? It's narrowing it. Okay. It's telling us that this statement has to do with a particular thing. It's, it's not a universal promise. Right? Okay. What's it saying? 
Okay, good. So we got the two or three witnesses, and we know from the Old Testament that two or three witnesses are for the purpose of doing what? Yeah, corroborating an accusation. Okay? So this isn't this isn't a general thing about prayer at all, is it? Yeah, it's it's a legal issue. Now I may be asking too much, but I'll ask it. What does it mean when he says, if two of you agree concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven? What does it mean in context? Okay. Okay. If you ask the Father for permission to institute, say it, church discipline, right? In context, it's about church discipline. This is not saying that, you know, there's something that you want, and maybe it's the salvation of your neighbor. This is not saying sit down with your best friend and let's agree in prayer and pray for the salvation of my neighbor. It's not what it's saying, is it? It would be a good thing to do, yeah. But does agreeing with in prayer with your best friend put any special obligation on the Father that wasn't there already? It really doesn't. But how many folks are using this in that way? Now, some of you may feel that I'm yanking something out of your hands. Okay? Some people feel that way when I go over this. I suggest to you that what I'm doing is hopefully helping you to see why prayer is more complex than we view it to be and also to see why God sometimes doesn't do what you ask for. You know, it's important not to assume that God has made promises that he hasn't made because if you think he's made a promise that he hasn't made and he doesn't keep it, you feel what? Jilted. You feel cheated, betrayed. Exactly. Okay? All right. The Lord watch between you and me while we are absent from one another. Does anybody know where this is from? It's Genesis. That's right. It's from Genesis chapter 31, verse 49. Okay? Is this saying, may God protect us and keep you faithful to me and bring us back together so we can be together later? not what it's saying at all, is it? Yeah, there's two brothers who hate each other's guts. And they're saying, may God protect me from you and not let you take my stuff. Okay? And you put this together in this locket and give it to your girlfriend before she goes off to summer camp. You know, it just doesn't make any sense, does it? But it's very romantic. <laughs> okay. That one was easy, right? Okay, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. You know where this is from now, right? Oh. This one's legal too, but the witnesses are anthropomorphized because they're a heat and a filler. Yeah. 
which is kind of a representation of almost it's almost a representation it's a way of remembering that this statement was made before God right but it's 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 almost it's almost like a curse it's saying may God get you if you cheat me while I'm not around you know it's very it's it's that one has been taken way out of context. How about this one? Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Where is that from? We just saw it. You remember? That's from Matthew 18:20. Okay? You already know what block of text it belongs to. You already know what the topic is. Is this a promise of the presence of Jesus when a group of people is worshiping together? Okay, yeah. It's a confirmation of judgment. You know what it's saying? It's saying that when you have two or three witnesses in the church gathered together to assert church discipline in a case where the sin has been verified and the sinner is unrepentant, then you are acting... Right, and what's that phrase? In his name. You're acting in his name. That's a perfect example of it. Okay? You're doing exactly what he wants done. God wants this guy disfellowshipped for a time until he repents. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it is. You know, scripture memory is a wonderful thing, but if you remember verses without learning their context, you can get in big trouble. And you you can go out and buy a pack of uh, scripture verses, you know, prayer promises in scripture. Okay, and you'll find the ones I've been throwing at you. And you go memorize those and you think, oh, great, if I just say in Jesus' name, I've got it, or if I get my friend to agree with me, I've got it. Well, you're going to learn pretty quickly that, that that doesn't work. And then you may be thinking, there's something wrong with me. But there are lots of folks out there who have never looked at these verses in context. And, and it's sad. Okay. This is the last one, I think. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. Does anybody know where that's from? Okay, Alex, you're, you're on to something. Okay, it's 2 Chronicles. Okay, good man. 2 Chronicles 7.14. What was happening in 2 Chronicles 7? Do you remember? It's the dedication of the temple. Okay, this is from Solomon's prayer when he is dedicating the temple. Now, Al said it sounds like the book of Deuteronomy, and Al is exactly right. Okay? In Deuteronomy 27, 28, and 29, God says to the Israelites, as they're about to go into the promised land, if you walk with me faithfully, I will bless you. I will make your crops grow. I'll make your flocks fertile. I'll make your wives have lots of babies. I'll make you rich, famous, powerful. You'll have everything you want. But if you're not faithful to me, 
I will stop the rain from coming, your crops will dry up, your animals will not reproduce, your wives will miscarry, your neighbors will harass you, they will come in and steal your stuff, they will come in and enslave your kids, and if you keep disobeying me, they'll come in and they will take you captive and carry you off to a foreign land. Okay? Now that series of promises was made just before the Israelites entered the promised land after leaving Egypt. That's around the year 1406. Solomon dedicated the temple, oh, probably maybe 960 or something like that. It's about 500 years later. Okay? But what does he do? He prays and he says this thing. Okay? Now we look at this. Let me turn off the light here for a second. And we read, Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And particularly we look at this last phrase, heal their land, and we tend to make that metaphorical. We tend to mean make that fix our country. Fix what's wrong with it. Okay? But that's not where this that's not what this is about. Okay? Heal their land means fix the dirt. Because there's something wrong with the dirt. The dirt won't grow crops. Why won't it grow crops? Okay, because God shut up the heavens, because God sent the locusts in, and the blight, and the mildew, and all those things which God is using to discipline Israel because they're not walking faithfully with him in a spiritual sense. Okay? Now, if you understand, like Al pointed out, that Deuteronomy is the background of this promise, then you recognize that what Solomon is praying here is very, very literal, okay? And it looks back to that promise. And then you have to ask yourself, does this in any way apply to us? Have you heard this? There's a program on Christian radio where they often bring this up, okay? And they say, we need to pray for our nation and for our president and for our Supreme Court justices because we are God's people, and if we will repent and lift up our nation in prayer, God's going to fix America. Okay? Is that a valid application of this passage? No way, right? Right, it sells a lot of books. Okay? Now, am I saying we shouldn't pray for our nation? No. That's in, uh, that's in 1 Timothy, I think. Okay, First Timothy, I think it's First Timothy chapter 2, or is it Second Timothy? I always get them mixed up. Um, we are supposed to pray for our rulers and for our nation. But to grab this thing and pray this and say, God, you know, America is wicked and we are wicked and I hate abortion and I'm claiming this verse, okay? You're talking gibberish. It just has nothing to do with that. Okay? 
That you know, again, that doesn't mean we shouldn't pray for our nation. It doesn't mean we shouldn't repent of our sins. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be looking for God to do what only He can do, which is to bring revival and transform the country by transforming the people. But that's not what that verse is about. Okay. Question. Well, I would I wouldn't say that. Okay, I would probably go so far as to suggest that when the father hears a believer praying this to him sincerely, the father looks at the heart and he says, "You know what? That guy doesn't know my word very well." But he understands that sin is a serious thing. He understands that I love righteousness. He understands that his country is in a mess. He understands that it's his duty as a believer to be an agent of God's work on earth. And he's praying for me to do that. And, and Yeah, and that, that's a good point. I, you know, I guess what I would say is this. Now that you know, and most of you did, okay, but if you know that this isn't what this passage is about, don't use it, okay? I mean, you know, don't insult God's intelligence. I mean... You know, we all have lots of wacky ideas, okay, myself included. I'm sure there are many things in Scripture that we haven't got quite right. And I think God understands that. But having said that, there's just no reason to use this in your prayers. And furthermore, don't use this in public. Even if you know what it means, if you use it in the wrong way around other people, what are you teaching them to do? You're teaching them to misinterpret Scripture. Okay? And that's a serious matter. So, you know, um, I wouldn't call it blasphemy or anything like that. I, I would, you know, it's probably sin at some level. But, you know, let's not beat up on each other. Let's just learn Scripture better and learn to pray intelligently from Scripture. You know, let's move in a positive direction. Okay? The purpose of this exercise was not to make any of you feel silly. It was just to highlight how important context is. Okay? All right, any other questions before we quit? All right, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we, we rejoice knowing that you took the initiative to reach us, to, to bring your word to us, to illuminate it for us, to convict us of our sin, and to enable us to see our Savior. Thank you for making us your children. Thank you for giving your spirit to indwell us. We ask that you would enable each one of us to walk in a personal relationship with you, sensitive to the leading of your spirit and sensitive to the needs of folks around that we may be your agents of blessing for them. Please bring each one of us home safely and strengthen us for the days ahead. 
We pray this through your Son. Amen.